Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. So I would like to begin my sermon today with a confession. Breath prayer has not been my favorite type of prayer. I do not love calming yourself and your body. I guess I fit right in with those little kids. I do not love that you only get to contemplate one or two lines of scripture. And I admit, I do not love the inhaling and exhaling repeatedly. I'm guessing this doesn't come as much as a surprise to you. I am a preacher after all. My courses in seminary were speech, preaching, levels one and two, reformed worship and liturgy, and pastoral conversations. It's a lot of talking. There's a theme there. However, later in my career, I came to learn the importance of prayer without words, of prayer with your breath, of silence, of meditation, of the importance of practicing presence as prayer. When I was out of seminary, I worked as a chaplain in the hospital system at Emory. Primarily, my placement was Wesley Woods, which is the geriatric facility there on Clifton Road. There are a number of different buildings, different locations. And among other duties, I was the chaplain for the independent living facility known as the Towers. It was a really great assignment, one that worked really well with the skills that I brought to the job. Every week, I got to lead worship on Wednesday had a brief sermon, offered prayers, we sang songs, also did plenty of visits, officiated my fair share of memorial services, and planned special gatherings and offerings. One of those programs was a meditation practice group. Now, it wasn't my idea, as I said, that's not really my forte, but one of my constituents in this interfaith setting was a Buddhist priest, and she suggested that we gather in this way. She was an interesting woman. She was on the younger side for the tower's demographic. She had converted early in life, and she'd lived all over the world, moving back to Georgia to be closer to the medical care at Emory. And when she offered to lead meditation, and all I would do was show up, I was quite excited. I knew I, Presbyterian woman wasn't likely to have such an opportunity again to work with and learn from a real pro. So we publicized the offering. It was a 30-minute session, once a week, open to beginners, come one, come all, we said, but typically the only practitioners would be us two. So on Thursdays at 11, I would come to the chapel a little early, dim the lights, pull around two or three chairs. And she would come in soon, bringing her walker, and she would have a seat. When I sat down, 
She sounded her singing bowl, and the practice began. That's it. That's how it happened. She didn't offer any advice or instruction. There were no do's and don'ts from the skilled and disciplined guru. I don't remember her suggesting a chant or a scripture passage for me. And there wasn't any conversation, really, around this being a multi-faith setting. She had zero handouts and no follow-up questions about how did I feel or did things go well. And I admit, in the beginning, this was difficult. I wasn't comfortable with this practice and so would have gladly lapped up any advice to make it fit more easily into what I could understand. But over the years, I have come to very much deeply appreciate her approach. When we meditated, she demonstrated to me, she showed to me the very first rule of breath prayer, of body practice. I had to trust my body and my breath and the promise that the Holy One was already present, was already speaking to me there. It felt so different than the worship I would lead on Wednesdays. For those services, I studied the Bible and constructed a sermon. I selected my prayers. I picked the hymns. I spoke with the pianist. We even printed a bulletin. I was the religious leader mediating the divine to people in need of a word. And fresh out of seminary, I came by this churchy approach honestly. I'm a trained minister ordained in the Presbyterian Church and the denominational processes and the seminary training reflect the history and tradition of the more Western world. You see, the early church came to power and prominence by speaking the language of the Greco-Roman world. At that time, and this is going to be a little philosophy, but I tried to make it a quick synopsis. At that time, a leading thinker was Plato. And Plato, one of his main ideas was to move people out of the material, to move them out of their bodies and breath, because he said that ideas were the true essence of things. So the physical form, the material, he said, it was just a copy. The ideal form was out there somewhere in the ether and not yet fully realized. So that would mean that the pew you are sitting in and thankfully not standing on is unworthy and imperfect simply because by definition it is real. And the same thing goes in Plato's mindset for an apple, same thing goes for a book. Thing, same thing goes for a flower, same thing goes for a person. So through the years, this platonic ideal took root in Christianity, minimizing the body, the real, the material, in favor of a more spiritualized soul. One of the places it shows up in its most extreme form is in a branch of Christianity called Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism was eventually declared heretical, but it was very, very, very popular 
in the second and third centuries. And now Gnostic Christians believed that salvation was found through secret knowledge. They believed that salvation was for an elite sect who had a certain understanding. There was a specific salvific knowledge to discover. And that's what mattered, not the good news communicated in Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, not the real. So we can see why they were excommunicated. But even later in the church that became the standard, the institutional church, even the Nicene Creed that we still say today was formed during a similarly themed debate. Now, there's a lot to it, but here's a quick summary. In the 4th and 5th centuries, the bishop of Alexandria, Athanasius, moved to standardize an understanding of the Trinity and, incidentally, to cement the power of his position. And to do so, he put forward the idea that the Father and Son were of the same divine substance, your million-dollar word, homoousia. We probably wrote papers on that in seminary. And it was those who considered Christ's finite, more human existence, like Arius, the Arian controversy, they were exiled and excommunicated and more. So it's interesting, the way through the years, the church moved away from the body as text even when Jesus showed up there. Lauren Winner is a professor at Duke Divinity School. She has really wonderful books, and one of the things that's interesting about her is that she was born as a Jew. She was, um, practiced Judaism in Asheville, North Carolina, and later she converted to Christianity. So she has a lot of interesting things to say in her material, and she also explores Christianity's move away from the material world. In her book, Mud House Sabbath, she says that we've lost something important because we Christians stepped away from the Jewish tradition in which Jesus himself was immersed. Judaism held the body was a gift in creation God deemed humans, bones, and blood from dirt and all as very good. So while in the Greco-Roman world, the essence of a human being was a soul housed in a human body, in Judaism, a human being was a body animated by a soul. Calling Christians back to an appreciation of the material from those roots in Judaism, Winner says, bodies are not merely trappings. They are the very stuff of us. Now that'll preach on a day like today when the topic is breath prayer Steeped in our traditions, it's important to remember that our wisdom in other ways. 
We need the reminder that there aren't special skills or a set of secret knowledge or even patterns of language that gain us access to the Holy One. Might we be ready to hear that what we need to pray, we already know, we already have, here in our bodies, in our breath, in our world. And here's the wild thing. The Bible certainly supports that approach. I mentioned in Genesis, Scripture says that God pulled us up out of the dirt and breathed life into us and called us very good. And then in the fullness of time, when God came to earth, Jesus took up human form, a body, our very lives, our very flesh, holy, holy one. And don't the gospels show us, don't they show us that bodies mattered to Christ? He who moved among the bloody, who he sat with the starving, he who touched the poor, the sick, and the dead, he who brought promise of the resurrection with new life and new bodies. The scripture passage for today is from the Gospel of John. And this Gospel is often considered the most Greek of the Gospels. Scholars who study this, they point to the fact that there's loftier language in the Gospel of John. There are complex ideas. The metaphors of the I am statements are only found in this Gospel. I am the way and the truth. I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. There's also, in the Gospel of John, a dualism that's very Greco-Roman, a lot of light contrasting with dark, and yes, the body versus the spirit. So then, isn't it interesting, this ending of the Gospel that we just read? Do you remember? Jesus, even in the Gospel of John, this Greco-Roman-influenced text, Jesus speaking to the disciples for the very last time, it's after his death and before he ascends, Jesus in John is quick to point out that he is not just a spirit. Jesus is quick to point out that he is not an, an idea. He is not just a soul. He is a body so he stretches out his hands and he shows them the holes and he turns around and shows them the gash in his side. And a few lines later, when Thomas doubts his presence, Jesus doesn't say, well, why don't you think about this? Or maybe you might wonder about that. No, what Jesus does is say, Thomas, touch me. And he holds out his hands and he says, here. And did you notice Jesus' final prayer? The holy last moment with his disciples? Did you notice that scripture tells us, even in the Greco-Roman influenced Gospel of John, that Jesus' last 
prayer was to breathe on them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said, offering peace and forgiveness in his breath in that final prayer. Trust me, this gospel could have gone a different way. I'm guessing I've read through John more than the average person, and it could have gotten really wordy, and it could have been very celestial and very ethereal, very platonic ideal. You remember that Jesus' birth story in John? No manger, no Mary. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And out of all the Gospels, the talk that Jesus offers before he goes to the cross to die, it's chapters and chapters and chapters long. Jesus is pretty wordy and lofty in the Gospel of John. But at the conclusion, the echoes of Plato and the other orators are gone. And here is what we see in the final scenes. And it is a good reminder for us today, even those of us who don't always love breath prayer, Jesus appears in the flesh, in the body. And from deep within his wounded and wise flesh, he breathes. And so sends the Holy Spirit peace and forgiveness to his disciples in this, his final prayer. So today, with all due respect to the Western traditions that have shaped us in the language of the Greco-Roman world, we reclaim the ancient Near Eastern soup of Judaism of Jesus to remember the wisdom of our bodies and the meaning of our breath and prayer. So may we trust that we have what we need, that the impact of the incarnation is divine and imprint on our bodies and the Holy Spirit in our breath, in our prayers. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.